Bloomsburg Theater Ensemble is funded in part by the National Endowment for the Arts, the Schubert Foundation, the Roy Cockrum Foundation, the Columbia County Commissioners, the Columbia Montour Visitors Bureau, Central Susquehanna Community Foundation, First Community Foundation Partnership, the 1994 Charles B. Dagenstein Foundation, our incredible donors and listeners like you. Tonight's oddcast is just for you. This is Round About the Cauldron, a BTE Halloween oddcast, and I'm your host, Prince and Vice. Tonight, ensemble members Elizabeth Dowd and Eric Wunsch will read stories for young listeners. First up, for the very young listeners, there'll be Hegarty Peg by Audrey Wood and The Ghost with Bloody Fingers from Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, adapted by Alvin Schwartz. And then, for older listeners, we'll have Sop Doll from the Jack Tales adapted by Richard Chase and The Trouble, also from Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, adapted by Alvin Schwartz. Listen carefully, children. Heggedy Peg. Down the Dusty Roads. And far away, a poor mother once lived with her seven children, named Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Every day before the mother went to market, her children helped with all the chores. One morning when they were finished, the mother said, Because you are such good children, you may ask for anything you want, and I will bring it home from the market. The children were overjoyed and knew exactly what they wanted. Monday asked for a tub of butter. Tuesday asked for a pocket knife. Wednesday asked for a china pitcher. Thursday asked for a pot of honey. Friday asked for a tin of salt. Saturday asked for crackers. And Sunday asked for a bowl of egg pudding. The mother kissed her children goodbye and said, now be careful, and remember, don't let a stranger in, and don't touch fire. The children locked the door behind her and began to play. Before long, a witch hobbled up the road, pulling a heavy cart. She rapped at the window and called out, I'm Higgity Peg. I've lost my leg. Let me in. We can't. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday called. Mother told us not to let a stranger in. Haggity Peg took a pipe from her cape and stuck it in her mouth. Come now, sweet chickens, she called. All I need is a light for my pipe. Bring me a burning straw. We can't. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday called. Mother told us not to touch fire. 
Peggy Peg reached in her cart and pulled out a sack. I'm sure your mother won't mind, she said. Look, if you let me in and light my pipe, I'll give you this. Leaning out the window, the children looked into the sack. They couldn't believe their eyes. Gold, they cried. For a sack of gold, we'll let you in and light your pipe. The children unlocked the door and let the witch in. They ran to the hearth and brought back burning sticks of straw to light her pipe. But when it was lit, Heggedy Peg threw the pipe to the floor and shouted, Now I've got you! And with that, the witch turned the children into food. Monday became bread, Tuesday became pie, Wednesday became milk, Thursday became porridge, Friday became fish, Saturday became cheese, and Sunday became roast rib. Peggy Peg gathered up the food and loaded it in her cart. Without looking back, she pulled the cart down the road, over the bridge, through the town, across the field, and deep into the woods to her hut. Soon the mother returned home carrying a large basket. In it were all the things her children wanted. A tub of butter for Monday, a pocket knife for Tuesday, a china pitcher for Wednesday, a pot of honey for Thursday, a tin of salt for Friday, crackers for Saturday, and a bowl of egg pudding for Sunday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, she called, but no one answered. The mother found the witch's broken pipe and burnt pieces of straw on the floor. Tears flowed from her eyes, who has taken my children, she cried. A blackbird, who had seen everything, took pity on the mother and hopped down to the windowsill. Follow me, the bird chirped. It's Haggity Peg. She's lost her leg. They let her in. Grabbing her basket, the mother followed the blackbird down the road, over the bridge, through the town, across the field, and deep into the woods to the witch's hut. Peg had just sat down to supper and was about to take her first bite when she heard a loud knock at the door. Let me in, the mother called. I want my children back. You can't come in, said Heggedy Peg. Your shoes are dirty. Then I'll take them off, the mother said, and so she did. Let me in, the mother called. I want my children back. You can't come in, said Heggedy Peg. Your socks are dirty. Then I'll take them off, the mother said. And so she did. Let me in, the mother called. I want my children back. You still can't come in, said Heggedy Peg. Your feet are dirty. Then I'll cut them off, the mother said. And she went away as if to do so. But instead, the mother hid her legs behind her and crawled back to the witch's door. Let me in, the mother called. I want my children back. When Heggedy Peg looked down, she thought the mother had no feet, so she let her in. The witch pointed to the table. Here are your children, she said. If you can't guess them right the first time, I'll eat them for my supper. Keeping her feet tucked beneath her, the mother crawled to the table. 
How would she ever guess which food was which child? In despair, the mother looked in her basket. Here are the things my children wanted, she thought, and now they will never have them. Hurry, said the witch, I'm hungry. The mother looked at the food on the table. Speak up, said the witch. My supper grows cold. Suddenly, the mother knew what to do. Taking the things from her basket, she said, I know my children by what they want. Bread wants butter, that's Monday. Pie wants knife, that's Tuesday. Milk wants pitcher, that's Wednesday. Porridge wants honey, that's Thursday. Fish wants salt, that's Friday. Cheese wants cracker, that's Saturday. And, and roast rib wants egg pudding, that's Sunday. Quick as a wink, the children turned back into themselves. They hugged and kissed their mother, then hugged and kissed each other. Jumping to her feet, the mother cried, I've got my children back, Heggity Peg. Now you'll be sorry you ever took them. She chased the witch around the hut, out of the woods, across the field, through the town, and on to the bridge. And Heggity Peg jumped off the bridge and was never seen again. The Ghost with the Bloody Fingers A businessman arrived at a hotel late one night and asked for a room. The room clerk told him the hotel was all filled up. There is only one empty room, he said, but we don't rent that one because it is haunted. I'll take it, said the businessman. I don't believe in ghosts. The man went up to the room. He unpacked his things and he went to bed. As soon as he did, a ghost came out of the closet. Its fingers were bleeding and it was moaning, Bloody fingers, bloody fingers. When the man saw the ghost, he grabbed his things and ran. The next night, a woman arrived very late. Again, all the rooms were taken except the haunted room. I'll sleep there, she said. I'm not afraid of ghosts. As soon as she got into bed, the ghost came out of the closet. Its fingers still were bleeding. It still was moaning. Bloody fingers, bloody fingers. And the woman took one look and ran. A week later, another guest arrived very late. He also took the haunted room. After he unpacked, he got out his guitar and he began to play. Soon, the ghost appeared. As before, its fingers were bleeding, and it was moaning. Bloody fingers, bloody fingers. The man paid no attention. He just kept strumming his guitar. But the ghost kept moaning, and its fingers kept bleeding. Finally, the guitar player looked up. Cool it, man, he said. 
Get yourself a Band-Aid. The next two stories in our oddcast are going to be just a little bit more scary. So if you don't like your stories too scary, might be time for bed. This next story features a character named Jack. Now you probably heard about Jack as that fellow who climbed up a beanstalk and tangled with a giant, but there's a whole bunch of Jack stories. And most of them, or a lot of them, come to us from a part of the country in the south along the Appalachian Mountains called Appalachia. And the folks down there speak a really wonderful, colorful dialect. So you'll be hearing that in the story. They also have some phrases that we might not recognize. Sop doll means dunk your paw or your hand. So if you were gonna sop a biscuit in gravy, it means you're dipping it in the gravy or dunking it in the gravy. Sop doll means dipping or dunking your paw. So with that in mind, enjoy Sop Doll. Said one time Jack started out to hunt him a job of work. He pulled out and traveled on till he got to another settlement. Ran across a feller there, told him there was a man there wanted to hire some work done. So he told Jack where the man's house was at. And Jack went over there, stopped by the gate and hollered, hello. The man came out, asked Jack, what did he want? So Jack told him. The man told Jack to come on in, asked him what his name was. Says, well, Jack, I got a mill on a water course down the road a piece, but I got no time to run it. I've hired several men to grind down there, but the very first night, something has always killed them. Looked like it was some kind of poison. Now, I thought I'd tell you, Jack, so you know all about it before you took the job. Well, says Jack, you don't care. We might walk down there and look that mill over. So they went down to the mill. It was an old log house with a fireplace and everything fixed for whoever tended the mill to cook and sleep down there. There were 12 little windows, rather high up on the walls, had no window lights in them. Jack looked it over right good, says, Be dad, I believe I might take that job. The man says, All right, Jack, I see you're no coward. Now, I'll give you half of what you make and give you your rations too. I'll go back to the house and get you some meat and meal for your supper, and you can start grinding soon as anybody comes. Well, when the word got out that the mill was opened up again, lots of customers started coming in and Jack had to grind right on till it was plumb dark. Finally got the last turn ground out and shut the mill down. He hadn't no more and gotten the water turned out of the mill race when here came an old man on a sorry looking mule, got off and walked in the mill with a little poke of corn on his shoulder. He had a long gray beard and he was one-eyed. How'd it do, Jack? He says. How you getting on? All right, I guess, says Jack. Hope you're well. About like common, says the old man. Then Jack looked at him, says, I don't believe I ever saw you before. No, the old man told him. I'm a stranger. Well, how in the world did you know my name? Jack asked him. Oh, I knowed you time I saw you the old man says. 
I come a long way today, Jack, and I wonder, could you grind my corn for me? I couldn't get here no sooner. Well, sure, says Jack. You, you wait here a minute, and I'll go turn the water in again. So Jack started the mill up and ground the stranger's corn for him, shut the mill down, and when he got back, the old man says to him, says, Jack, you're the first one ever done me right here at this mill, and I am going to give you a present. He reached in his big coat and took out a silver knife and handed it to Jack. Jack thanked him, and the old man left. Then Jack built him up a fire in the fireplace and got out the skillet. Now Jack didn't have no lamp, but the fire gave out right much light, and it happened the moon was shining, and all twelve of them windows made it pretty near bright as day. So Jack was cutting up his meat with that silver knife, when all at once it got thick dark in there. Jack looked up. And there in every one of them little windows sat a big black cat. They all were looking right at Jack, their eyes just a shining. Well, Jack wasn't scared much. He went on and put his meat in the skillet, set it on the fire, and stooped down to turn it with his knife, paid no attention to them cats. But just about the time his meat gun to fry, Jack heard one cat light down on the floor. He went on cooking, and next thing he knowed, there was a big black cat a-sitting right up in the fireplace with him. Jack went to turn the meat over, and that cat stuck out its paw toward the skillet, says, Stop, doll. Jack reached out right quick with his knife, says, you better not sup your doll in my meat or I'll cut it off. The old cat jerked its foot back and sat there a while. The mother cat stirred around a little, stayed on up in the windows. Then Jack saw the big cat reach for his skillet again, says, stop, Jack come at it with his knife, says, I done told you not to sop your doll in there. You try it one more time now, and I'll sure whack it off. The old cat drawed back, said on there, switching its tail. Them other cats stirred a little, and one or two of them sort of meowed. <coughs> then that cat flopped its foot right smack in Jack's gravy, says, Sop, doll! Jack came down with his knife right quick and cut the cat's paw plumb off. The old cat jumped for a window, and all 12 of them went, and were gone from there before Jack could turn to look. Well, Jack went to throw that meat in the fire, and instead of a cat's paw, it was a woman's hand laying there in the skillet, had a ring on one finger. Jack took the hand out and wrapped it in some paper, put it up on the fireboard. Then he washed and scoured his skillet, cooked him some more meat and a pone of bread, got done eating and went on to bed. The next morning, the man that owned the mill got up real early, says, oh lady, you better get up and cook me some breakfast. I reckon I'll have to make arrangements about burying that boy today. His old lady sort of scrounged around in bed and said, she was sick and couldn't get up. 
So the man fixed himself some breakfast and pulled on down to the mill. There was Jack, just a grinding right on. The man got into where Jack was, hollered to him, says, Well, I wasn't expecting to see you alive, Jack. Thought I'd be burying you today. Jack hollered back at him, says, Well, it's a good thing you don't have to do that. The man hollered back in Jack's ear, says, when you get that turn ground out, shut down the mill. I got to talk to you right now. So directly, Jack went and pulled the water gate so the mill's racket had stopped and him and that man could talk. Says, now Jack, you tell me what happened last night. Jack related to him about all them black cats and he told him about the old man giving him that silver knife. The man says, I see through the whole thing now. It's a witch gang. They wanted to have their lodge meeting here in the mill. And when that cat sopped in the grease, she poisoned it some way or other. Jack said he had an idea that was how it was. Said that was why he scoured the skillet. The man said it was a good thing he'd done that. And Jack told him about the cat's paw turning into a woman's hand. Says, you might not believe that, but I got it right here to show you. Got that woman's hand and unwrapped it. The man took it, looked it over, looked at the ring on it, says, Oh, now I declare. Why, I'd have never thought it. Says, now, Jack, you lock up the mill and come on back with me. We got to tend to this right now. It's a good thing that knife was made out of silver. You can't hurt a witch with a knife or a bullet even unless it's silver. So they went back to the house, and the man's old woman was still in bed. He asked her if she felt any better. She said, no, said she'd not get up for a little while longer. So the man says to her, says, you want me to send for the doctor? She said, no, said for him to send for some of the neighbor women. He asked her what women folks she wanted to come, and she named out 11 women in the settlement. So the man sent word to him, and for any of them got there, he says to his wife, says, Let me see your right hand. The old woman sort of twisted around, poked out her left hand. No, says the old man. It's your right hand I want to see. So she twisted and turned and poked out her left hand again. Then he reached over and pulled out her right arm, and there wasn't no hand on it. Well, the woman folk came readily as soon as they got word. The man says to Jack, says, I've been suspecting my old woman was mixed up with that gang of witches, but I'd have never allowed she was head of it. Jack says, oh, surely not. Man says, yeah, I knowed it was her hand time I saw the ring on it. Well, when the last of them 11 women got in with his old lady, that man shut the door on him and fired the house. Them 12 witches started cracking and popping, and every one of them was burnt plumb up. So, Jack made an end of the witch gang in that settlement, and that man never did have no more trouble about his mill. The Trouble The events in this story took place in 1958 in a small white house in a suburb of New York City. The names of the people involved have been changed. Monday, February 3rd. 
Tom Lombardo and his sister Nancy had just come home from school. Tom was going on 13, Nancy was 14. They were talking to their mother in the living room when they heard a loud pop in the kitchen. It sounded like a cork had been pulled from a bottle of champagne. But it was nothing like that. The cap on a bottle of starch had somehow come unscrewed, and the bottle had tipped over and spilled. Then, bottles all over the house began popping. Bottles of nail polish remover, shampoo, bleach, rubbing alcohol, even a bottle of holy water. Each had a screw cap that took two or three full turns to open, but each had opened by itself without any human help, then had fallen over and spilled. What is going on here? Mrs. Lombardo asked. Nobody knew, but the popping soon stopped and everything went back to normal. It was just one of those crazy things they decided and put it out of their minds. Thursday, February 6th. Just after Tom and Nancy got home from school, six more bottles popped their caps. The next day, at about the same time, another six did. Sunday, February 9th. At 11 o'clock that morning, Tom was in the bathroom brushing his teeth. His father was standing in the doorway talking to him. All of a sudden, a bottle of medicine began moving across the vanity by itself and fell into the sink. At the same time, a bottle of shampoo moved to the edge of the vanity and crashed to the floor. They watched, spellbound. I'd better call the police, Mr. Lombardo said. That afternoon, a patrolman interviewed the family as bottles popped in the bathroom. The police assigned a detective named Joseph Briggs to the case. Detective Briggs was a practical man. When something moved, he believed that a human or animal had moved it, or that it moved because of a vibration, or the wind, or some other natural cause. He did not believe in ghosts. When the Lombardos said they had nothing to do with what was going on, he thought that at least one of them was lying. He wanted to examine the house. Then he wanted to talk to some experts and find out what they thought. Tuesday, February 11th. The bottle of holy water that had opened a week before opened a second time and spilled. Two days later, it spilled again. Saturday, February 15th. Tom, Nancy, and a relative were watching TV in the living room when a small porcelain statue rose up from the table. It flew three feet through the air, then fell to the rug. Monday, February 17th. A priest blessed the Lombardo's house to protect it against whatever was causing the trouble. Thursday, February 20th. While Tom was doing his homework at one end of the dining room table, a sugar bowl at the other end flew into the hall and crashed. Detective Briggs saw it happen. Later, a bottle of ink on the table flew into a wall and broke, spattering in all directions. Then another porcelain statue took off. It traveled 12 feet and smashed into a desk. Friday, February 21st. To get some peace, 
the Lombardos went to a relative's house for the weekend. While they were gone, everything at home was normal. Sunday, February 23rd. When the Lombardos returned, another sugar bowl took off. It flew into a wall and smashed to smithereens. Later, a heavy bureau in Tom's room toppled over, but no one was in the room when it happened. Monday, February 24th. By now, Detective Briggs had talked to an engineer, a chemist, a physicist, and others. Some thought that vibrations in the house were causing the trouble. Those could come from underground water, they said, or from high-frequency airwaves, or from sonic booms caused by airplanes. Others said that the electrical system was the cause, or downdrafts coming through the chimney. The popping of bottles was blamed on chemicals the bottles contained. Tests showed that there were no vibrations in the house. There was nothing wrong with the electrical system, and there were no chemicals in the bottles that would make them pop. Then what was causing the trouble? None of the experts knew. But every day, the Lombardos received dozens of letters and telephone calls from people who thought they did know. Many believed that the house was haunted. They thought that a poltergeist was on the loose, the noisy ghost that is blamed when things move around on their own. No one has proved that poltergeists exist, but people everywhere have told stories about them for hundreds of years, and what they have told was not too different from what was happening to the Lombardos. Detective Briggs did not, of course, believe in poltergeists, he had begun to believe that Tom Lombardo might be to blame. Whenever something happened, Tom was usually in the room or nearby. When he accused Tom of causing the trouble, the boy denied it. I don't know what's going on, he said. All I know is that it scares me. People said that Detective Briggs was a tough cop who would turn in his mother if she did something wrong. But he believed Tom only now, he didn't know what to think. Tuesday, February 25th. A newspaper reporter came to the house to interview the family. Afterward, he sat in the living room by himself, hoping that something would happen that he could describe in his story. Tom's room was just across the hall from where the reporter sat. The boy had gone to bed, but he had left his door open. Suddenly, a globe of the world flew out of the darkened room and smashed into a wall. The reporter dashed into the bedroom and turned on the light. Tom was sitting in bed blinking, as if he had just been awakened from a sound sleep. What was that? he asked. Wednesday, February 26th. In the morning, a small plastic statue of the Virgin Mary rose up from the dresser in Mr. and Mrs. Lombardo's bedroom and flew into a mirror. That night, while Tom was doing his homework, a 10-pound record player took off from the table, flew 15 feet, then crashed to the floor. Friday, February 28th. Two scientists arrived from Duke University in North Carolina. They were parapsychologists who studied experiences like those the Lombardos were having. They spent several days talking to the family and examining the house, trying to understand what was going on and what was causing it. 
One night, a bottle of bleach popped its top, but that was all that happened during their visit. They did not tell the Lombardos about a theory they had that a poltergeist actually might be involved in such cases. According to this idea, poltergeists were not ghosts. They were normal teenagers. They'd become so troubled by a problem that their emotions built up into a kind of vibration. Since it was taking place in their unconscious minds, they didn't even know it was happening. But the vibration somehow left their bodies and moved whatever it struck. It happened again and again until the problem had been solved. Scientists have given this strange power a name. They called it psychokinesis, the ability to move objects with mental power or mind over matter. No one knew if this really could happen or how to prove it. Yet most reports of poltergeists did involve families with teenage children, and there were two teenagers in the Lombardo family. Monday, March 3rd. The parapsychologist said that they would prepare a report on what they had learned. The day after they left, the trouble returned with a vengeance. Tuesday, March 4th. In the afternoon, a bowl of flowers flew off the dining room table and smashed into a cupboard. Then a bottle of bleach jumped out of a cardboard box and popped its top. Then a bookcase filled with encyclopedias fell over and wedged itself between a radiator and a wall. Then a flashlight bulb on a table rose up and hit a wall twelve feet away. Finally, four knocks were heard coming from the kitchen when nobody was in that room. Wednesday, March 4th. While Mrs. Lombardo was making breakfast, she heard a loud crash in the living room. The coffee table had turned over by itself. But that was the end of it. After a month of chaos, everything returned to normal. In August, the two parapsychologists gave their report. They decided that the Lombardos had not made up the story, nor had they imagined it. Their trouble had been real. But what had caused it? They said that no pranks or tricks were involved, nor was any magic. As the police had done, they also ruled out vibrations from underground water and other physical causes. The only explanation they could not rule out was the possibility that a teenage poltergeist had been at work, moving objects with mental power. They did not have enough evidence to prove it, but it was the only answer they had. If it was a poltergeist, they thought it was Tom. If they were right, if a normal boy like Tom had become a poltergeist, this also might happen to other teenagers. It might even happen to you. During these difficult times, BTE is delighted to present Roundabout the Cauldron, a BTE Halloween oddcast free of charge. BTE's programming is made possible by our generous funders and patrons like you. With even a small gift, you can support BTE's mission of theatrical excellence and arts education by donating at www.btee.org.
www.bte.org support. Thanks for listening.